You're listening to Just One of the Guys, where we don't recommend building any castles in the sky with only the two of us. Another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. This is an internet radio show dedicated to bringing you coverage of the Green Lantern comics from cover date June 1990 until cover date November 2004, with a special emphasis on the characters of Kyle Rayner and Guy Gardner. Again, Guy Gardner is kind of left to the wayside because, well, he doesn't have his book at the time. However, that doesn't mean we're only going to be covering Kyle Rayner in the show. Oh, no, no, no. We're going to be covering two books this time, one dealing with Kyle Rayner and the other one dealing with Green Arrow, Connor Hawk. We're covering part three and four of the Hard Traveling Heroes, the Next Generation storyline. And once again, I am graced with the presence of one of the best podcasters out there on the internet who's going to come help me along with this story. He's the host of From Crisis to Crisis with Jeffrey Taylor. He's on Pad Smash. He does his own solo show and views for Longbox. And he's, well, basically a man about town. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back, Mr. Michael Bailey. Hey, Mike. Hey, Sean. Uh, basically, the only thing you said that was true in that statement is that I host those shows. Oh, I... you, you, do, you know, self-deprecation doesn't serve you, sir. <laughs> I, I've told you before that I wouldn't be doing this show had it not been for listening to you, because, you know, I think a lot of people honestly owe you their podcasting careers to you. So please please take it as a compliment when I say those things because I, I, it is true. I do, but I just, I, 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 I get all shy. Well, I, I, I understand that. It's it's like when I'm talking to a girl. Just, uh, well, just think of me as a pretty girl. And wait, no. <laughs> I'm going to segue quickly out of that into some podcast promos, which we're going to play right now, probably for a Demonzacore sponsored podcast because they start to get angry if I don't uh, promote their shows. 
But after that, we're going to come back, and this time out, Michael's going to be giving us coverage of the Green Lantern book number 77. So stay tuned after the break. Okay, let's get this show on the road, gang. These freaks are dedicated, hardworking people. I'm Batman. Whosoever holds this hammer, if he be worthy, shall possess the power of Thor. This looks like a job for Superman. Captain America! It's the Dime Man! It's the Rocketeer! Gentlemen, you're up. <laughs> Comics Monthly Mondays. Available the third Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.com. My name is Michael Bailey. And I am Jeffrey Taylor. And we host a podcast called From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. Presented by the Superman homepage. On the show... Wait, wait, wait. What? This just isn't working out for me. It's not bombastic enough. We need something epic. Like what? Welcome to From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, presented by the Superman homepage. I am Jeffrey Taylor. And I am Michael Bailey. From Crisis to Crisis chronicles the adventures of Superman. Wait, 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 wait. I'm just not feeling this. I'm just wondering how there's a needle-scratching sound when all of this is clearly digital. Look, all we need to say is that this is the, a trailer for a show called From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast presented by the home, Superman homepage. My name is Michael Bailey. I am Jeffrey Taylor. And every week we give in-depth synopsis and reviews for just about every Superman book published between Man of Steel number one in 1986 and Adventures of Superman number 649 in 2006. We also talk about the related Superman media, what was happening in the rest of the world when these comics were published and what else was going on in the DC Universe. The show drops every Thursday-ish at the Superman homepage, which is located at www.supermanhomepage.com. From Crisis to Crisis is also a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network, located at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. So join Jeffrey and I each week as we explore Superman during the post-crisis era, which includes Exile, Panic in the Sky, Doomsday, The Marriage, and Beyond. And write into the show at FromCrisisToCrisis at gmail.com and hear it read on the air. Eventually, because we get behind on that sort of thing. 
Superman created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Side effects from, from Crisis to Crisis include loss of money from buying back issues, a desire to read 20-year-old comic books, nausea, drowsiness, pizza, blurred vision, upset stomach, a desire to kick puppies and kittens, and backache from lifting boxes of Superman comics. If the excitement of From Crisis to Crisis lasts more than four hours, seek immediate medical attention. And we are back to take a look at Green Lantern number 77. And, like I said, Michael Bailey has the synopsis this time out. Well, this book has a cover date of August 1996. It was released on June 12th, 1996. Was I out of work at that point? I lost my job around this point because the airline I was doing reservations for decided to put a plane into the ground. So uh, there is no story title. I couldn't find one. Uh, I looked and I looked. Did you see a story title? In uh, no, I didn't see one in there at all. It, it They've got the... Hard Traveling Heroes, The Next Generation Part 3 on the cover and re-entry mm-hmm. critical, but uh, unlike all the other stories, this one doesn't seem to have one. But, you yeah, know, it's, maybe, been, it's been maybe, kind of odd. Maybe Live at the Roxy is, okay. the, is the story title. We'll Anyways, go with that. Kyle and Connor sit with the man Kyle thinks is his dad, and they kind of shoot the breeze. The supposed Aaron Rayner apologizes for the misunderstanding, and he, fa- and he asks why they're there. Kyle says they are looking for him and drops the bombshell that he is Aaron's son. Aaron is quite shocked by this, and Connor takes his leave to give the men some privacy. Connor walks over to the bar and talks to Johnny Walden, and you find out that he is the guy that Hal and Ollie saved back in the day, so he's a dirty hippie. We get the... (laughs) We get the VH1 behind the music on his career and sets out pretty quickly that Johnny is a bitter, bitter man. Meanwhile, Aaron Rayner, in quotes, gives his son the lowdown on why he was all Splitsville, population him, back when Kyle was a kid. Apparently he wanted nothing more than to serve his country and eventually wound up working for an agency known by letters rather than a name. One day he was asked to go on a mission, a very special mission that would require him to walk away from everything. His sense of duty won out. Kyle isn't exactly thrilled by this, but Aaron insists it's how things had to go for the safety of America. In fact, everything he has built in desolation has a point, and he wants Kyle's help. Takes them to an underground facility right out of a James Bond movie, gives them the I work for a group that wants to take America back sales pitch, which Kyle thinks is kind of legit. Connor isn't so sure, but Aaron assures him that his group isn't a bunch of gun nuts running around the woods, not wanting to pay their taxes. He introduces them to his head of security, Crackshot, and boy, she hot. Mm-hmm. She thinks she can convince Connor and Kyle the worthiness of their cause with her boots. Aaron reveals why he needs Kyle's help. He wants Kyle to put a satellite into orbit that will allow Aaron's group to communicate directly to the American people. He even throws out the term Second American Revolution, and Kyle is still on board with this, though Connor is skeptical skeptical, but Kyle's like, hey, it's my dad. And they agree to help. Meanwhile, Eddie Fires is heading to Desolation to keep the kids from getting in too deep. Kyle and Connor are soon in orbit, putting the satellite into place. Connor takes a minute to point out how beautiful space is before asking Kyle if he's sure about this whole Second American Revolution thing. The situation deteriorates quickly, especially after Connor points out that Aaron walked out on Kyle and his mother. They fight a bit before Connor pulls a bow on him. Kyle says they are done once they get back to Earth. Connor doesn't like it, but he accepts it. Meanwhile, Aaron talks to the judge from last issue, and we get the sense that he's up to no good. Insert your own 
Fresh Prince of Bel-Air joke. <laughs> Kyle joins his father and tells him that Green Arrow has left. Green Arrow, meanwhile, heads back to his room where Crackshot is waiting. She has something for him. And that something seems to be a gun. To be concluded. Uh, this one, I think the politics get pretty heavy-handed in here. There are obviously bit. there are obviously some some slams at very right-leaning people, but I think here they're justified. Uh, the character of Aaron, and uh, we're not gonna, you know, he's led to believe you're led to believe he's Cal's father, and for the time being, we're gonna keep it at that. But he is very much a a stereotypical right-wing character. And I think he might be sort of cold from the idea that was going around during this time of the very Rush Limbaugh-type character. And it's it's kind of upsetting that Kyle is... Kyle is being the naive one in this. Uh, when, when in the last issue, we were dealing with uh, Connor not having much thought of real-world applications and what's going on in the real world now we get kyle just being sort of blindsided by that and it's a it's an interesting change in the character i think just finding his father has kind of blinded him to the fact that something wonky is going on here well you know you you, i don't know if i'd go so far as to say right wing uh though i i think that's an easy place to go given you know groups like the John Birch Society and, and things like that. that mm-hmm. you know, it, it's basically any group that wants to take America back from whatever evils uh, you know, are, are killing it. And it's kind of funny that that sort of mentality you know, was still resonant today mm-hmm. in what's going on in the real world and you know, we're recording this in the very end of July in 2013, and yet back in 1996, kind of the same thing was going on. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's it's funny that he tries to distinguish the group from the gun nuts running around the woods not wanting to pay taxes. Uh, but still, you know, you know, if you're sitting there talking to somebody, and they start saying things like, you know, well, we want to take we want to take America back, and it's just like, okay, you know, yeah, there's there's some problems, maybe. Maybe going back to a simpler way. I mean, I'm not saying let's go back to like you know racism, because uh, that would be bad. But you know, still, you know, it's you know, let, let, let's let, let, let's focus on that. To I'm going to put a communication satellite in space so that we can speak directly to the people, which means that he's going to interrupt normal broadcasting and speak directly to the people. Now that's not actually how it plays out, as we will find out. But still, that that should be like, you know, finding long-lost dad or not, that should raise a few alarm bells. Mm-hmm. It like, is, uh, something doesn't smell right here. Yeah, it is definitely skirting the entire idea, and it's brought up in here, the entire idea of the First Amendment, that it, it's, it's not really free speech if you're interrupting the speech of someone else, if you're, if you're co-opting. Forcing it on people. Exactly. <laughs> I mean... There are parallels I think people could find in this to 
the rise of conservative radio or the rise of uh, uh, I see a lot of you know the sort of rise of Fox News in this but um, yeah I agree with you it it doesn't have to necessarily be conservative but there are some warning signs that you should pick up on yeah yeah it's just like conservative liberal somebody saying things like the second american revolution and there are people out there that believe that there should be a revolution that Mm -hmm. we should take it back and to those people i say let me see how you're going to take care of the garbage Mm -hmm. and that's and that seems silly but when you really think about it you know you know people who's like let's secede let's let's start a revolution blah 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 blah. you're 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 thinking in the short term Mm -hmm. um you know it, it it's not like back in the 1700s when we could live off the land a little easier. Yeah. Uh, though, you know, I live in Georgia, so there are plenty of people in this state that live off the land on a regular basis and, you know, are pretty much the uh, epitome of the, you know, Hank Williams Jr. song, The Country Boy Can't Survive. But regardless of that, it's just whether it's either political party making these statements, I'm always like, I don't know. I like plumbing. Mm-hmm. And I and I and I like the electrical, the electricity being on, and I like the idea that maybe we won't let you know nuclear power plants go you know go kablooey and stuff like that. It's just like all these things. I I, I really wish people who want a revolution would would think through. It's mm-hmm. like I I want to see their point by point plan, and then consider it. I mean you know you know, you know even Cobra had a dental plan, <laughs> you know in the old GI Joe cartoon. So there you go what the cobra dental plan was it was, it was, it was dr mindbender and it was <laughs> pain in the ass <laughs> oh lord that would be that would be a horrible horrible plan um looking at the cover this is one of those this is a really nice cover and it it kind of harkens back to those sort of um 1960s jack kirby photo collage covers because that moon there doesn't look it is so detailed. It doesn't look like it's drawn. It looks like it might be a photo collage. I mean, the rest of it, the the planet Earth and all that, looks like it might be drawn. But uh, it kind of harkens back to that, uh, sort of the stuff that they do in the Fantastic Four. And I, I like that. Uh, it does kind of uh, make you wonder why Green Arrow would be fighting with Kyle. Because if he knocks him out... Uh, he's like 30 seconds away from asphyxiation and uh, explosive decompression. Yeah. yeah. I was about to say, they, they, they tend to pop in space. Yeah, it's not a good thing to be fighting with a guy who's shielding you from, oh, the ravages of space. So. Page one, the fact that this guy headlined for Jefferson Airplane, Iron Butterfly, and what's this? What strawberries? Uh, the I electric strawberries. The electric strawberries. Man, this guy must have been really popular. And or it, really it, high. And it really... I guess at this point, he would be like on a reunion tour with these people. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> that's like, you know, almost 30 years before this comic came out. And Hal and Ollie are not that old, so it's it's just the whole Johnny Walden thing is is an interesting callback. But when you start thinking about it too deeply, it's like that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, but I guess it's a way to sort of bring that character into the uh, the current book. Uh, I don't have any uh, notes till page four uh, when uh, 
when Aaron is finally confronted by Kyle saying that, you know, he, that Kyle believes that he's his father. He never really comes out and says that he's his father. He's kind of evasive about it. And maybe he's just not comfortable with admitting it. Or maybe there's something else going on with that. Uh, we'll have to see how this works out throughout the entire book. Yeah, the, the good the good thing about the the reveal is that he says, you're Kyle. He doesn't, you know, it's not like, I'm your son, Kyle. Oh, yeah, you're my son, Kyle. It's just like, wait a second, you're Kyle? Mm-hmm. Well, and it's also carried on in, in the page five, in that second panel where he says, uh, Mara's son, you're Mara's son, not you're my son. You know, yeah. he's, he's relating it to, and he's not saying my wife either. So you got to kind of wonder what's going on here. Is he just denying his previous life or is there something going on? So it, it adds a bit more mystery to the character. I guess you clear this up. I did not remember that Johnny was the dirty hippie that uh, Hal and Ollie saved from the... Uh, Green Arrow, Green Lantern issue. Oh, Lan- many roads must a man walk down. <laughs> this dirty I, hippie should walk down just enough till he gets hit by a truck, and then it'd be fine. Uh, ow. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, dirty, dirty hippies. I just... Uh, uh, fine. They can, they can go live in their... Lo- well, no, I shouldn't say that, because actual hippies are really kind of cool. All they want to do is, you know, live their little lives and smoke pot and be, you know, free love and all that. It's, it's the ones who want to push their politics down on you. you And those people aren't really hippies. So eh, there you go. We get into, we get into the whole thing that he's built this big underground complex underneath the mountain. And yeah, it is right out of a James Bond movie. And it, again, it, there are so many warning signs here that you should be should be clicking off in your head. He's got this underground secret hideaway with all these people working for him. He's got this rhetoric about you know wanting to have this second American Revolution. I don't know how you can be so blindsided to by this character to not know that there's something more going on with him than just he's your father who wants to do the right thing. I mean, it. it it kind of hurts me that Kyle isn't really thinking right in this. And he's just so he's his desire to find his father is overriding, you know, his common sense here. But, and, but at the same time, that's kind of Kyle, you know? <laughs> yeah, but, I'll give you that. And, and you wouldn't really have much of a story without it, but still it's, you know, he's sometimes people can get that blinded. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a little, a little thin, you know, as if, you know, we're talking about the plot from Lethal Weapon. Uh, it's a little thin. Um, but it's kind of has to go that way, you know, with Kyle buying into it and Green Arrow being the one like, um, you know, this might not be the good good idea. I do like, though, on page, page nine when he's making his big pitch that the American flag is behind him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wonder if he framed himself specifically like that to kind of give it that extra that extra push but yeah it's just like underground uh, hideout kind of extreme views second american revolution yeah this seems legit (laughs) yeah okay uh 
moving on to the next page, uh, did did I mention that I like the way Pelletier draws women? <laughs> My goodness. Uh, I, I uh, Wow. And it is very, it is a very 90s look. And it's yes. also, uh, I, I actually researched this. Her look does kind of look like a Laura Croft thing with the short shorts and the gun and the pouches and all that. But actually, I checked it out and I think this came out a few months before the actual yeah. very first Tomb Raider game came out. So I'm not saying that, you know, uh, Mars and Pelletier were, you know, predating that, but I'm saying that they probably may have seen bits and pieces of it and may have taken from it. But she's, she is a, you know, to, to quote Shag, she's smoking hot. <laughs> Does that mean I have to be Rob and you, know, <laughs> you, you, you can browbeat, but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I do like, however, uh, another thing on page 10, uh, that uh, panel five where uh, they just got introduced to Crackshot and that look, again, that look that Kyle gives to uh, Connor as he's checking out uh, Crackshot as she walks away. The just Pelletier does great facial expressions and look on Kyle's face, just kind of grinning at Kyle or grinning at Connor as saying, yeah, you know, you want that. I love that. Page 11. Yeah, it's a communication satellite. Yeah, don't don't worry about those big things that look like uh, giant cannons coming out the side. No, that's the, there's no reason to pay attention to that. Oh, and don't worry about the giant radiation symbols on there. I mean, you need a lot of radiation <laughs> to power a nu- uh, nuclear... You need a nuclear-powered you know, communication satellite. Trust me, <laughs> Kyle. So that if that falls onto the Earth, it'll go, like, you know, good. <laughs> Yeah, because there's there's no problem with that. I mean, again, you know, I'm I'm harping on the fact that Kyle should have should have should have been this blind, but it does play it does have to play out in the story. You have to use this. And he does need to be kind of oblivious to it, but I mean, look at that on the side of that. There are huge things that don't in any way look like communications antennas. Those look like right out of some sort of Babylon five. Type. Yeah. Those, those guys are in, in hazmat suits because, uh, they need to work in a sterile environment. Mm hmm. Trying not to get any dust on it. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Cause, cause space dust is different than earth dust. Mm hmm. So. Moving on. It's nice to see Eddie back in the book and that he's taking a consideration into the characters i again i want to find more about this character he seems like a fun character uh and then on pages 14 and 15 just uh, uh this is the way i would feel uh, if i were to uh, you know if there was any way shape or form you know when virgin atlantic happens if i had the money i would go up on virgin atlantic that would be the one bucket list thing. And that Connor here is pretty much, you know, just gobsmacked by all this. Uh, I, I love that because this would be the way that I would be feeling as well. I mean, it's always been, since I was a kid, it has always been my desire to be an astronaut and to go out into space. And I know it will never happen for me, but just he he captures it so well the sort of feeling that you'd be out there and the fact that kyle is so nonplussed by it until connor makes him take a look at it is just you know i uh, it's awesome just awesome 
Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Then, of course, you know, since the two were finally alone, it may not have been the best place to bring it up, but, you know, Connor brings up the fact that maybe Kyle is being a bit blindsided, which, of course, leads to uh, leads to the fight in space. So, uh. Kyle, look, this guy can kill you. I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry. I would not want to take on Connor, Master of the Martial Arts. Well, and the thing is, Kyle is not a fighter. He's proven that pretty much, you know, okay, not a fighter, but a hand-to-hand combat. If he has to punch, uh, you know, I don't think he would have made it out of the bar fight in the last Green Green Lantern issue if it weren't for Connor being there. Uh, He relies a lot on his ring, which is, you know, you know, to be fair, he's a Green Lantern. That's what he does. But Connor is on on a f- open ground, would take Kyle out, no problem. So, yeah, it's not wise of Kyle to uh, punch Connor here, but it's yeah. also not wise of Connor to provoke Kyle, oh, you know, a couple of in geosynchronous orbit over the Earth. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I like you. I kind of liked Connor's whoa, you know, when they were in space and then making, you know, Kyle take a second to go, whoa, space. But I, I just, I, I do like the fact that, that Connor is pretty up on the fact that if he does win the fight, he's still going to die. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and oh, by the way, page 19, nuclear symbols. Yep. Um, right there, biggest day. Yeah, they're not, so, they're not, uh, they're not bearing the lead at all. You know, it's pretty apparent that, uh, this is not a communication satellite. We have uh, we have supposed Aaron talking to the judge. We really don't see a whole lot of him in this story, do we? No, the judge is just kind of there as a sort of sort of figurehead character to kind of give you the idea that there is corruption going on. But you know, he's not really dealt with her in, in any way, shape, or form, other than he's just this sort of looming figure that you get a kind of idea is either funneling money to Aaron or whatever. But yeah, he's not really a throwaway character, but he's not uh, wholly important to the story. The, uh, the last page, a little salacious, little, uh, little her wrapping her legs around Connor there and pulling a gun. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is like my prom all over again. <laughs> wow. Not that that happened, but still. No, we can always dream. Uh, A good issue. Again, Pelletier's art, really nice. And uh, a nice cliffhanger ending, which uh, might find uh, Connor uh, getting him some. So that's always good, too. Supposedly. Well, presumably, yeah. But uh, uh, unless you've got anything else, I'm going to go ahead and take a quick break here. And I'm going to put the promos in. And when we come back, I will get to coverage of Green Arrow number 111. Woohoo! Yay. Hey, Michael. Hey, Dad. We need to record another new trailer. Another one? Yes. You know that we read comics and then talk about comics because, as we've established, talking about comics you've not read is just dumb. Yeah, and you're making me do it every Thursday. Well, we've moved. Have we? Yes, we have outgrown our old location. I don't feel like I've moved. And we have now moved to twotruefreaks.com. What was that again? twotruefreaks.com. Akin's Comics, still every Thursday at 
GamerFreaks.com Since the day Bruce Banner was bathed in gamma rays, he has fought the creature within. The creature torments Banner. The creature is unstoppable. The creature is incredible. Now, the countdown has begun to Banner's greatest confrontation with the Hulk. And all of his internal battles have come down to one moment. One final chance to reclaim his life and be whole. And three words will change the Hulk and Banner forever. Honey, I'm home. Bigger. Smarter. Greener. The Hulk is taken to new heights as writer Peter David delivers an all-new phase for the Jade Giant. And Pad Smash, an Incredible Hulk podcast, is bringing it all to you. Join J. David Weeder, Lee Busby, and Michael Bailey as they turn a new corner and cover the all-new, all-different Incredible Hulk. Find the Ultimate Hulk podcast experience weekly at iTunes and at IncredibleHulkHomepage.com. Pad Smash, an Incredible Hulk podcast. Experience the epic like never before. And we are back. And we're going to go ahead and head into our coverage of Green Arrow number 111. It was cover dated August 1996 and released on June 12, 1996. Had a cover price of 225 US and 325 Canada. The title this time out, it had an actual title. It was Hard Traveling Heroes, The Next Generation, Part 4, Final Appeal. Uh, writer was Chuck Dixon. Penciler was Rodolfo DiMaggio. Anchor, Robert Campanella. Colorist, Lee Lowridge. Howridge, however you pronounce it, uh, letterer John Costanza, and Darren Vincenzo, Vincenzo, thank you, Andy, was the counsel. Uh, predating Laura Croft by almost four months, the haughty hired gun crackshot tries to determine whether she wants to kill or kiss our protagonist, Connor Hawk, aka Green Arrow. Fortunately for Connor, she chooses to kiss him and plants a big, wet, sloppy one on him. Uh, a kiss, I mean. Unfortunately for Connor, the whole ordeal is being monitored by Aaron Rayner, that perv, and his henchman, Hatchet, who aren't too pleased with their hired gun trying to make the beast with two backs with Green Arrow. Aaron orders Hatchet to send in the backup team and kill them both, as Crackshot attempts to put the arrow in her quiver, if you know what I mean. But before this book violates comics code, a tactical team drops in from the ceiling and tries to put an end to the couple. But a knife to the boot, a quiver to the face, and a shot to the chest allowed the duo to escape, which throws Aaron into, the, into a rage. Telling Hatchet that the judge's men will take care of him, Aaron quiets the concerns of the approaching Kyle, who heard the shouting from down the hall. Kyle asks if there's anything he can do to help, and Aaron says that he's done more than enough. In fact, thanks to, thanks to Kyle's help, the satellite will go live sooner than expected. Back at the hotel, Arrow and Crackshot leap from the balcony into the pool below to avoid gunfire from the SWAT team. Crackshot says she's having her doubts about going along with Rainer's plans, probably because he's trying to kill her and stuff. And her concerns are justified as an attack helicopter opens fire on the floating fugitives. Connor fires an arrow and takes out the chopper's rotor, causing it to crash land and allowing the two to escape. Saying that she's thinking about putting in her two weeks notice, a fleeing crackshot runs into the waiting car of Eddie Fires, who tells them that he's here to rescue them. The two climb into the waiting Crown Vic, and Eddie evades the pursuing attackers, all the while telling them that Rainer has, had been involved in the purchase of some particle beam weaponry from the Russians. But it shouldn't be a problem, unless it has some sort of satellite in geosynchronous orbit to fire from. 
Oops. But okay. wait! <laughs> that would never happen. Luckily, Crackshot knows of the backdoor entrance to Raider's compound, and the trio sneak in to try and stop the weapon. Meanwhile, Kyle and Aaron are having a little discussion about methods of changing people's mind. Kyle offers up the First Amendment and public office route, but Aaron says it's all too corrupt and his way is best. But before Aaron can explain his rampant paranoia, a lab-coated team member tells him about a situation, and Aaron hastily leaves Kyle behind. Just then, Connor and crew Kyle call Kyle over and show him that the satellite that he put in orbit, oddly enough, had a nuclear reactor in it. Kyle still professes his father's innocence until some armed guards threaten the group, and Kyle bowls them over with a ring construct right now. The group gets separated, and Arrow and Crackshot decide to, what else, climb through the ventilation ducts to escape. As Crackshot tries to engage Connor in some claustrophobic coupling, Kyle confronts his conniving father as to his betrayal. Aaron scoffs at Lanner's naivety and says that the quote-unquote communication satellite is about ready to quote-unquote communicate 10 million hertz of laser power to our nation's capital. A quick cut to Eddie's fighting hatchet leads to the armored baddie blasting at the Jim Gordon wannabe and accidentally hitting some explodey thing. With the compound in ruins, Green Lantern begs Aaron to shut down the weapon. But, he said, but Aaron says there's no shutdown mechanism, so the best thing Kyle can do is to get them both to safety. Kyle disagrees and instead streaks into space to try and take out the satellite. At the same time, Green Arrow is taking out Hatchet and saving his buddy Eddie from ending up in box. Out in space, Kyle is channeling his inner Luke Skywalker, blasting the rogue laser cannon, blowing it up real good. Crisis averted, Kyle streaks back down to Desolation, just in time to hear Aaron reveal that he was really Kyle's uncle Zachary, and not his father, just before he passes away. And with all th plot threads wrapped up, our heroes walk into the metaphorical sunset, with Crackshot still hoping for a chance to find out if Arrow can really shoot straight with things other than his bow. Meanwhile, somewhere in Colorado, a military officer hands a telegram to a man aboarding a Mach 1 attack helicopter. The letter simply states, Regret to inform you of the death of your brother. Condolences. And with a stoic look on his face, the man returns the salute of the uniformed officer. we get the ending of this storyline uh, I I really enjoyed it uh, it's a nice sort of it's a nice wrap up to the issue what kind of notes do you have on this Mike yeah. well it it's basically just action 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 which you know Chuck Dixon does best and it's what mm -hmm. the story needs at this point we're wrapping everything up we've you know we've established the relationship between Connor and Kyle we've gotten you know the first big action piece out of the way as they start really getting into the plot, the Green Lantern issue that we covered, you know, a couple minutes ago, 
was where the the bad stuff really started setting up and now everything's out in the open and we got to take care of the situation uh crack shot really needs to get some uh i don't know maybe there isn't any other guys around the compound that she's really all that interested in uh but man she really wants to try some connor hawk on Uh, i do like the fact that you know the 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 bad guys bust in and she yells at them i'm on page five i'm supposed to be on your side as she stabs him in the foot (laughs) i i'm wondering how this hotel is laid out that you can have a team of one, two, three, four, five, six, like six SWAT people just hiding in the ceiling. That kind of makes me concerned for ever going to any hotel ever again. Uh, page six, Kyle, uh, uh, the supposed father of Kyle goes soon. This country gets a wake up call again. Alarm bells. Mm-hmm. Really weird things. I mean, there was this time when I was in college where me and my friends were hanging out and we were all having a good time. And uh, one of the guys, really nice guy, like him, would still consider him a friend, but he pulled us all aside and told us about how the Illuminati is trying to take over the world. And it's just, I don't know. I get into the, it, it's funny that I have the same reaction to that as I have to somebody who's obviously trying to get me into a pyramid scheme. Mm-hmm. I don't know if the sales pitches are, are similar for a reason, but it's that, that same like, Something about this really is off, and I'm just not going to buy into it. So, the uh, the action, as as always with the Chuck Dixon uh, comic, is excellent. Uh, Rodolfo's Dimaggio's artwork is amazing. Mm-hmm. Really sells all of the beats. And again, yeah. like I said before in the previous issue, it the the action flows. There's no there's a certain person in a certain position in one panel. It follows to the next panel that he's in the same place. Uh, the quiver, like uh, on when they first come in to, from the ceiling and take out Connor, his quiver is on one side of the, of the bed and he picks it up and hits him with it. And it's still on that. He's still framed on that side of the bed. So there's some continuity in the artwork here. And I enjoy that because it's not just, you know, fights happening there's a flow to it. And that's uh, something that uh, I think a lesser artist would probably fail to do. I do li- I do like that they have an attack helicopter. You know, whenever we have an attack helicopter in the book, what do we have to talk about? Airwolf? No, Blue Thunder. We're talking about Blue Thunder. Hey. <laughs> no, because I'm not stealing that from Andy. So yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, I've listened to some fantastic cast recently. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but uh, I wanted to put in Blue Thunder simply because I wanted to point out the fact that not only did that star, uh, oh, what's his name? David Farentino. Correction. You meant to say James Farentino, right? Bubba Smith, Dick Butkus. But it also starred the T, and this is the TV version, Dana Carvey. Think about that. The church lady. In Blue Thunder. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to be able to get that image out of your mind anytime soon. Well, man, man had to earn a living. Yeah, I guess so. That's all I'm going to say about that. But yeah, that the action is really great, great in here. Um, I do kind of have to, I do kind of have to worry about uh, Eddie on page nine, hanging out the car window, firing the two guns. Uh, I'm hoping Connor's driving the car because I don't want to think what eddie would be driving 
the car with at that time. <laughs> he's he's a he's a complicated man, and no one understands that but his woman. Uh, that Eddie fires. <laughs> the uh, the the revelation on page twelve of, of Kyle just walking in on Connor and Eddie, like hacking into the computers. This is the one part of the story where I'm like, okay, I am really going to have to buy into this because Kyle turns on a dime here. I don't think, I don't know if they did a good enough job. I mean, he has the conversation on page 11. I'll give him that. Where he's just like, if it's all we want to contact the media skewed worldview of the world, why not use the. Why can't I read? If all you want to do is combat the media's skewed view of the world, why not just use the powers of free speech? Well, with all the cash you laid out for this place, you could bought a couple of television or radio stations. You could have run for office. And, okay, so Kyle's questioning it, but then, like, on the very next page, it's like, oh, okay, this is bad. I'm with these guys now. Mm. Yeah, there, there's a very quick transformation to being doubtful to being completely convinced. So I guess, you know, for sake of storytelling, you know, you've kind of got to go that, but it would have been, it would have been nice if they would have been able to allow Kyle to make that realization over a extended period of time. If it would have happened, say like in the uh, green arrow book or in the, the green lantern book preceding this, if his doubts would have been more justified. Yeah, there's, um, (laughs) <laughs> the the scene in the air ventilation shaft uh, where Crackshot really wants to once again try on some Connor Hawk. Mm-hmm. Uh, those I am assuming are some very sturdy ventilation shafts. Oh yes. To wow. Well, you know, I, Anyways. I'll, I'll give the I'll give it that both Connor and Crackshot are probably not very heavy people, but still, there's two people. Carrying around in a in a piece of metal that's only supposed to hold in air, it's one of these it's one of these tropes in all action movies that people can climb around in air ventilation chutes and you know no one will notice them and they're perfectly able to support their weight. Yeah, it's I mean it's a good action trope, but if you think about it too much, it's not really going to work. She but, looks. Yeah. Re- she looks really disappointed on the bottom of page 17, though, when they're mm-hmm. crawling away. <laughs> yeah. yeah she I does love the spatial of... expressions in this issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, DiMaggio does a good job of doing it. And that's one of the things that I like, that you can you can tell how people are you know feeling. If the artist can convey that in the person's faces, I like that. Because, like I said, in an earlier issue of Greenlander where Banks was doing it, he just didn't get their expressions in, and it they looked like it was just mannequins there. I mean, the artwork is really good, but if you can convey what the people are thinking or what the people are feeling through their facial expressions, it makes it just so much better. Uh, I'm a little disappointed that it's not Eddie that takes down Hatchet on uh, page 20, because mm-hmm. uh, I, I kind of wanted to see Eddie take that guy out. But I do like Connor's reaction of, you're lucky I'm the one knocking you out and not him, because he'd kill you. Mm-hmm. And so, I'm glad that Connor, you know, put the uh, arrow through whatever, you know, the back of Hatchet's back energy tube ball thing or whatever. So get rid of that. Ugh. Page 21, Lucas, please don't sue us. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I was gonna say this is definitely a a big old ripoff of you know these. The, in fact, it kind of reminds me of some of those early Marvel comics versions of the X Wings where they didn't quite have the concept of the X Wing right. Yeah. So you would see that the uh, front end of it would have this sort of weird shape to it, and it would have extra engines in the back or so. But uh, yeah. It's it's definitely aping Star Wars here. I do like the fact that uh, Zachary, in his final moments, didn't let Kyle believe that he he was still his father, mm-hmm. which I think would have kind of screwed Kyle up a little bit. Yeah, well, so. but then then again, we get uh, the sort of rushed ending where all this time Kyle was so enamored with who he thought to be his father that you know after just one page after he's. Uh, his supposed father has passed away. He's he seems completely fine with it, and it ends with a sort of jaunty, almost Star Trek happy music ending, <laughs> with a uh, you know Connor and Crackshot possibly going off to again make the beast with two backs. Though I do like uh, Eddie's reaction of, and I thought I missed today's Elfris. <laughs> uh, I love Eddie. The, 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 I, I really like this character. I've got to read more Green Arrow. But then we get the uh, the very subtle, quiet ending of, you know, Kyle's father is actually alive, and it's it's done, you know, without you know specifically saying that this is Kyle's father, but the fact that he gets the uh, telegram or whatever note the saying that his uh brother has died obviously leads you to believe it and uh and it's kind of surprising that it happens in green arrow yeah right. actually that that we're not uh that it's not brought into the fact that kyle's father is still alive in the green lantern book but uh, it, it doesn't really it doesn't really matter to me and i'm going to have to you know rack my memory to figure out whether or not uh, Aaron Rayner plays a big part in the uh, upcoming Green Lantern books because it's been so long since I've read those I I don't know yeah I I vaguely remember him having something to do with the secret files Mm -hmm. that comes up in like 99 98 somewhere around there okay see it's been so long and like I've said before uh, around 125 was when I stopped collecting him, and I'm going to the LCS and picking up issues after that, so I can finish up the show. But it's been it's been so long since I've read these, I cannot remember whether or not he plays a big part in the series. But you've got to kind of think that he does because Kyle's been so obsessed with finding out who his dad is. So hopefully he'll be a recurring character. But yeah, overall this was a. It was a storyline I think could have gotten really political, that could have gotten really ham-fisted and sort of uh, you know, poking fun, or not really poking fun, but taking the mick out of the whole political climate at the time. Uh, but it did it in a way that wasn't over the top and didn't feel forced, so I, I enjoyed the storyline overall. Oh, absolutely. Fun little storyline. Got these carried on the tradition... Um, of you know Green Lantern and Green Arrow coming together, and and being friends, even though there was a point in this that they were you know 
Kyle was basically like, you're not my friend. You just helped me. Thank you, but peace. It, it's a nice... It's like the other end of the spectrum from his relationship with Wally at this point. Whereas Wally is very like, who are you? Where's Hal? You're not Green Lantern. Blah, blah, blah. Here it's just like two guys that are like, wow, we, uh, we're we in the next generation. Let's be friends. Mm-hmm. So it was, eventually all three of them will team up in one of these. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're coming, up, we're coming up pretty quick to the... Uh the Morrison JLA era. So uh, it'll be interesting to, to take a look at that. And there's the three of a kind story arc. Oh yeah. That I think that comes a little bit after all that, but yeah, that's uh, where we get uh, not only uh, green lantern and green arrow, but we get the flash coming in to work in the storyline as well. So yeah, that's, it's nice to see the characters. And you've talked about this so often. This was an era where DC was willing to have legacy characters, to have these characters carry on the mantle of the the title characters and develop them in a way to make them interesting. And it's, I've said it before, it is kind of upsetting that they've gone back to bringing back the characters of, of yore and bring back the the originals to, to whatever extent going back to Hal and going back to Barry and even now in the new 52 going back to Ollie. And I know that I, I've been ridden by Luke Jack and about this, that the characters had their time, but I think it's disappointing that they got away from the idea of the legacy character and how the legacy character could be interesting on their own. And you didn't have to, go back to the old standards. I mean, from what I've heard, the Flash run in the New 52 is really great, but I would love to have more stories with Wally. You know, I'd love to have Kyle be a major player, not just sort of a secondary character in the Green Lantern books, but it is what it is, I guess. Yeah, I mean... I've kind of made my peace with everything. I mean, there there will always be a large part of me that prefers this sort of dichotomy and then the, the, the evolution of the characters and seeing them progress. But you can only do that once or twice. You, you know, you, you really can't... Um, you really can't, in my opinion, recapture this type of thing without... Um, how do I want to say this without just regurgitating everything? It's like it's it's like it happened, and to try to go back to it, you're just not that I've ever done this, but it, it, I, I guess it would be kind of going like getting back with a girl you dated and then start go out with her again. You know, you're trying to recapture something from before, but everything's different because of the life experiences you've had. You know, in between, you know, the breakup and getting back together again. I, I, I'm not saying that going back to, you know, Kyle, I mean, not Kyle, going back to Hal and Barry was a good idea because that's just the same thing I was just talking about, though, with the generation before mm-hmm. uh, that maybe you could get away with it in terms of that, because there there is a whole, you know, 
10 and sometimes 20 years between the two characters disappearing and coming back and you have a whole new audience to kind of grab onto so you can tell some of the same stories and it'd be okay because they don't really know, they don't really have context to that. But, um, I don't know. It's just, I have, I'm in such a Zen type state about, my era and everything right now that it's kind of funny. I, I can't, can't get upset anymore. It's kind of weird. I used to get upset all the time and now I'm just kind of tired and want to go take a nap, you know, when I think about it. So I, I think that's a good way to view things because when we as comics fans get too riled up about these characters and the way they're being treated and the way the direction that certain writers are taking them, it does us no good i think taking the approach that these things are cyclical and things change and that we can stay in this era or not really stay in this era but we can look at this era and find good things in it and allow the things that we may not be so positive about about these new books to capture the imaginations of newer readers and hope that once these people look at these runs, want to go back and explore what came before them, we can bring those people into knowing that there were some things prior to Jeff Johns writing Green Lantern that was interesting, prior to Grant Morrison writing Superman that were interesting. And hopefully these people will come back to these stories and these characters and take a look at them and find the enjoyment that we've found in so I'm hoping that's I'm hoping that's the case, and that's what I think. Uh, people who do these podcasts uh, about this type of era and uh, about any era, like uh, Charlie doing the Bronze Age Superman, or uh, uh, John or um, Michael Bradley doing the Golden Age stuff, it, it's to get people to look at the history and to look at those stories and take a look at them and realize where the characters came from and how they evolved and all that. So I'm hoping that in some way that this will get people to look at this. In a way. Absolutely. Michael, again, I cannot tell you how much it pleases me to have you on the show. It is always great to talk to you and it's always great to have you on the show. Go ahead. And since we're finished up here, why don't we go ahead and tell people what you're doing on the internet nowadays? Well, first, uh, I'd like to, to thank you for having me. It was it was nice of you to uh, when you put you put kind of a call out on Facebook asking if anybody had interest in this. And you know, I like you know, I hadn't read the story in years, and I like podcasting with you, uh, so I thought it might be fun. So I really appreciate you giving giving this kid a shot to come on and talk about some Green Arrow. Oh uh, well, um, I know I know you're new with it, and I wanted to make <laughs> sure that people got your name out there. <laughs> Uh, I co-host from Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast with Jeffrey Taylor that by the time this comes out should have come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, in yeah, fact, as, as, as of recording this, it's coming out to the first episode in a very long time is coming out tomorrow. Can't wait. Uh, we also I also have views from the long box, which has an episode out around this time as well, which has been kind of back on a on a somewhat bi-weekly it's getting a little weird because of some stuff that happened earlier in the year that kind of got me all turned around uh but that's me basically talking about superman for most of the year because it is his 75th anniversary 
and I wanted to celebrate that. I'm also on several shows on the Two True Freaks Network. Uh, sometimes I'm on Walking Dead Wednesdays. Uh, I haven't been on Back to the Bins in quite some time, but I used to be on that show. Uh, there was uh, you can find Tales of the JSA, which is older episodes. Maybe something coming down with that, but we really don't want to talk about it right now. Um, of Tale uh, uh, with Scott Gardner, and I'm on Comics Monthly Monday, which is always uh, which is always a good time with. Uh, Scott sometimes and Chris and Dr. Bill Robinson and, and Paul uh, and that's and Pad Smash, an Incredible Hulk podcast, which I do with J. David Weeder and Lee Busby. And every Monday night, 1130 Eastern Standard Time, you can go over to the Superman homepage. And uh, Steve Eunice was nice enough to ask me to be his co-host on Radio KAL Live, mm-hmm. uh, where in the next couple of weeks... Uh, we're getting to talk to people like Bob McLeod and John Bogdanov and the woman that came up with the Kryptonian language for Man of Steel. So good stuff over there. Cool. Well, again, Michael, thank you for being on the show. I really appreciate this. Uh, it was great talking about these characters. And this is it's it's neat to see the next generation of them being written so well by these two great two great writers and some really great artists. I just loved it. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Not a problem. Well, everyone, that does it for this episode. Thank you all for listening, and make sure that you come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, hosted by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. Bye, everyone. You've been listening to Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, hosted by yours truly, Sean Eagle. All images, stories, and music are copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast is done solely out of my desire to show the tendencies of the internet that comic books can be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking, and exciting, while not having to fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. I'm not in any way doing this for monetary gain, which irritates my wife to know. All feedback for the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account at justoneoftheguyspodcast at gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcomed. All spam bots are warmly welcome, too as long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly in a fire. The website address for the show can be found at the brand new Two True Freaks website, located at twotruefreaks.com. There you can find the RSS feed, as well as scans of the covers and whatever else I feel like putting in. Look for me on iTunes. Just search for Just One of the Guys podcast, or search for Two True Freaks, the new one too, and you can subscribe to either the show or Two True Freaks there. You can also search me on Facebook, and now you can actually find me there, as it was a requirement of my new Defonso Corps contract. But it still doesn't mean that I'll be joining your little Mafia Awards group anytime soon. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Greenlander podcast. And there's one big continuity gaff, but you know. Okay, I will let I'll let you point that out because it's did, been. Did so you long. notice? It, did you notice it too? That, that well, where did Hal go at the very beginning of this run? It's been so long since I've read those. He went to Desolation. At the beginning, uh, at the beginning. Oh, holy crap! At the so, end, that was the one that was. No, that went mosaic. Son of a bitch. It hit me while I was reading that. I was like, none of this can happen.
This isn't the desolation that they... I mean, maybe zero hour screwed something up. <laughs> we'll just chalk it up to that. Oh, I just... Uh, last week we did the 75 with Thomas, and that was the final issue of uh, Guy Gar- the Guy Gardner series, and we just gushed about that for, like, almost an hour talking about that, so... This was... I'm trying. I'm trying not to be so droning on and on and on, which I can get into, and trying to and taking people into tangents because a squirrel. <laughs> so. No, I I prefer I prefer talking. I mean, this was really on topic, but we still we still covered. Uh, I mean, we covered everything that I wanted to cover in the book, and you know, we did our own little monologues and talking about the whole idea of the generational thing and all that. So I think it worked out perfectly. I've, I'm really impressed and I'm, I'm glad we cut it out a bit before that you need to go because I, I always hate when we go along and you and Scott and Chris, uh, especially Chris, because Chris was one of these people who I think was probably high when he did it, but he was one of the people who actually, had me on to do a show over two true freaks and it got me interested in doing podcasting. And I, I appreciate the whole, uh, second, uh, get off your ass and make a podcast thing. I listened to that earlier this week and, uh, I'm still... so worried we would come off sounding like assholes. No, really you, was. no, it, you, you guys were informative, you know, you gave really good tips. Uh, again, it's the whole thing about find what you want to do. Uh, you don't have to have the greatest equipment to start out with. Uh, there were some really good tips. I, I never really thought about, you know, record the show, listen to it, and then, you know, go back and record it again. I you never know. do that. Well, I, you know, I, I usually go through when I'm editing it. I go through and I take out any of the ums and errs and you knows because I – that was one of the things that Scott, you know, uh, that worked with me with Scott. And I'm – notorious for doing it myself is i don't self-edit enough i need to start doing that throughout the show because i oftentimes listen back to myself and i will say really quickly you know and then follow it up with another you know a second after that so i think i need to work on that and scott talking about that working to his benefit in getting the new job is, is, is great, you know, but, uh, and there again, again, you know, <laughs>